Father, we are so thankful that we have such a God, indescribable, unimaginable, who will give more than we can even imagine. A God who is incomprehensible and unknowable, yet through your kindness and your grace and the gift of your Son, we can know you. What a wonderful truth. So, Father, I pray that this morning we will, we will grow in that knowledge of knowing you personally, intimately, that we would grow closer than we've ever been to the Lord Jesus Christ in that deep personal love relationship. And, Father, if there be one here this morning that is not saved, that has never been born again and experienced the new life, the abundant life, that comes through Christ. I pray that by the power of your spirit, hearts will be transformed and souls will be saved. We pray for Ken as he struggles with some health issues, Father. We pray that you would be ever so close, bringing him comfort and peace and encouragement. And that, Father, you would heal him for the glory of your name. But during this time, we wait and we give you thanks and we give you praise because we know that in the end you will be glorified in every way and every possible way in Ken's life. Father, use us today, all of us as your children, in some way to point others to Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning's message in a continuing series on the prayers of Jesus. Today's is a bit different. By the way, I'm having a lot of trouble preaching left-handed. I've never done that, so uh, just, just remember me in your prayers. It's a bit different. This prayer does not necessarily follow the formal prayer format that we have seen in earlier uh, uh, scripture. It's, rather, it's, it's kind of a moment of pause, a moment of reflection as Jesus is about to enter the city of Jerusalem. It's actually the words of a divine mediator, an intercessor as our Lord speaks over and to the city and people of Jerusalem. Jesus has left Bethany after the raising of Lazarus, and the hatred of the religious leaders is intensifying. He is headed to Jerusalem, where he will experience what is now referred to as the triumphal entry. And I want to read the scripture just preceding the one that we'll stand for in just a moment. And it says, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then the Lord stops. He stops. 
let's join him there. Would you please stand if you are able? For the reading of God's word will be in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Father, by the power of your spirit, anoint these words in a special way that they may take on the life that they are intended to give. And you do that through transforming our hearts so that we may receive these words. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the first things that someone uh, does quite often is when there is a need, you call on a friend, correct? So I had this need yesterday. I had injured my shoulder, and, and I thought, well, I'll call on a couple of friends. So I called my friend Ray Shoemaker. Actually, my, Connie, uh, my wife Connie called. And, and Karen was so gracious. She was so gracious. And, and Ray along with her, and, and they made sure I had this sling. And, and I was so appreciative until this morning. Ray wanted to collect rent. <laughs> what a friend we have in Raymond. <laughs> what? <laughs> Now, <laughs> thank you, Karen, for, for loaning me Raymond's tourniquet here. <laughs> A royal welcome was going on all around our Lord. People praising God, waving palm branches, an outburst of honor and recognition. But the Lord was not drawn to all the hoopla. Rather, he was struck with a heavy heart. He was not distracted by the rejoicing clouds. He, he did something totally unexpected. He looked over this beautiful city before him, looking straight through the eastern gate at Temple Mount, and he cried. He cried. I, I can't tell you how, how beautiful that scene is. And, 
and, and, and it's one of my favorite places in, in, in all of Israel. I have several favorite places, but standing on the Mount of Olives, looking over the city of Jerusalem, and, and, and you can just picture our Lord walking down out of that garden, down through the Kidron Valley, and up the slope, and into the eastern gate. And the eastern gate is aligned perfectly with where the temple would have stood. He would have been walking right towards the outer courts, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. And he stopped. He paused. And he wept. He laments with tears. And so the question that I that I had immediately, and it became the title of the sermon, What Makes Jesus Cry? Now, folks, I, I admit that that begins on somewhat of a, a somber tone and, and by intention. That's the way we're starting. But I want you to know by the time we get to the end, we're going to be full of hope and joy. You see, he looked past all the external hype. He looked into the hearts of the people and at the spiritual condition of the great city of Jerusalem. So what did he really see that caused him to weep? The first of three points, he wept because of the abuse of great privileges. Verse 41, and when he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it. This was God's city, filled with God's chosen people. God's holy temple stood on the highest part of this glorious city, which Jesus was soon going to clean out, by the way, after he had entered the city. This was Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. From the moment David captured this city from the Jebusites in 1004 BC, it was established as the capital of Judea. It became Mount Zion, the city of David, and the Ark of the Covenant was brought there. God now lives in Jerusalem. Guys, this is huge. Jerusalem, more than any other place on earth, should have recognized the Messiah but they were blinded by religion. You see, religion is the enemy of the Christian faith. Did you know that? Relationship is the deliverer. The Pharisees could walk you through all the rituals and the formal exercises, but they did not recognize the Son of God. And the people themselves would soon change their tune from Hosanna to Crucify him. And Jesus cried. He cried. We could say that certainly at a, at a, a lesser degree without the, uh, the significance of this ancient city of Jerusalem, America has been the land of great privilege. And it's abused it horribly. 
If you're here this morning, I want you to know that God has made it possible for you to be saved. He has made it possible for you to know him. He has made it possible for you to have life and life eternal. What a privilege that God has extended that. But one day, that offer is going to be removed. And since the Lord knows that, he weeps over the lost. Secondly, the abuse of great privilege, there was also the rejection of unparalleled possibilities. Verse 42, would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. They had it all and could have had it all. The city of peace, Jerusalem. I want to read to you just a bit of history here. So bear with me and listen carefully, please. Jerusalem was meant to be a city of peace. When David made this city the capital of Israel, about 1,000 years before Christ, he chose it because of its excellent location. It was located right on the border between the tribal territories of Benjamin and Judah. And since his predecessor, King Saul, had been from the tribe of Benjamin, David himself was from the tribe of Judah, there would be a feeling that Judah had, had, and, and the tribe of Benjamin could somehow come together with this neutral location. Jerusalem's location was on the border between them and hopefully would bring peace between these two tribes. Furthermore, the city was located high on a hill, militarily strategic. It had its own water supply, had everything it needed for a, for a great fortress. And it was called the city of peace. Psalm 122.6, God's people are exhorted to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But history has shown that Jerusalem has not been a city of peace, not even in recent times. In its turbulent history, spanning 3,500 years, Jerusalem has seen little peace. At least 118 major conflicts have taken place over it. And rivers of blood have been shed to possess it. It has been besieged no less than 32 times and attacked and plundered by Assyrians, Babylonians, Greeks, Roman, Seljuk Turks, Crusaders, and finally the Ottoman Empire. And even when Israel reacquired Jerusalem in recent times, it has become a terrible bone of contention between the Palestinians and the Jews. Blood is still being shed through terrorist action and suicide bombings and conflict nationwide. Instead of being the city of peace, Jerusalem has therefore become a city of weeping. Is it the first time? No. Jeremiah says, Right before the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., he says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He wept over Jerusalem. So this possibly helps us to understand why Jesus wept over the city during a triumphal entry. All that Jerusalem had the opportunity to be 
It had forsaken. It had rejected. And Jesus wept. And now, as our Lord and Savior today, the Lord Jesus desires for us to be blessed with his peace that passes all understanding, the peace that is ours through being his people. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And because he desires this peace for us so much, we can be assured that he weeps with us and over us when we reject that peace. My friends, the tears that Jesus shed on earth reminds us that we have a Savior who understands. But his tears should remind us that there are people everywhere that have rejected his offer of peace. This is the Prince of Peace we're talking about here. And it's a peace that transcends wars and world conflict. No army on earth can take that peace from you. The Jews lived in the city of peace and would soon cry out for the murder of the Prince of Peace. Think about it. Now, folks, we, we don't see that in our modern civilization. Although there are people everywhere that want to crucify him all over again, but they want to eliminate him from our culture. Listen, it's real, my brothers and sisters, my friends. People want to remove anything that is right, anything that is good, anything that is holy, anything that is just. They want God out of our culture. They hate Jesus more than the Pharisees hated him in this era. They hate him. And Jesus wept. I ask you this morning, do you have peace? Do you have peace in these turbulent times? Do you have peace in these chaotic times? Do you have peace in this corrupt age? All the unparalleled possibilities people miss because they simply refuse to repent and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Thirdly, Jesus wept because he knew that soon there would be the imminent execution of divine punishment. Folks, God will not leave sin unpunished. He will not. Because he's a just God. He's a righteous God. He is a righteous judge. In verses 43 and 44, we read, For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. Now he's speaking to the city. Do you see it? And you, and you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon 
another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. No matter where Jesus looked, he found cause for weeping. If he looked back, he saw how the nation had wasted its opportunities and been ignorant of their time of visitation. If he looked within, he saw spiritual ignorance and blindness in the hearts of the people. They should have known who he was, for God had given them his word and sent his messengers to prepare the way. And if he looked around, Jesus saw religious activity that accomplished nothing. The temple had become a den of thieves, and the religious leaders were out to kill him. The city was filled with pilgrims celebrating a festival, but the hearts of the people were far from God. And Jesus looked ahead, and he wept because he saw the judgment coming. Judgment was coming to Jerusalem. In A.D. 70, the Romans would come in full military force. And they would lay siege to the city for 143 days and kill 600,000 Jews. They would take thousands more captive and then they would destroy the temple. Do you see it? The last person they got to kill is God, <laughs> the one true and living God, because they had a multitude of others that they had tried to put in this place. So they destroy the very dwelling place of God. Why did all this happen? Because the people did not know that God had visited them. In John 1.11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In, John, in, in uh, Luke 19.14, we do not want this man to reign over us. And there is the heart of the issue, folks. They do not want Jesus to rule over them. In this sea of celebration, there is not one heart of transformation. Jesus was not looking for fans. He was looking for followers. The siege of Jerusalem would be a total devastation, but the unsaved soul is far worse. Jerusalem would be rebuilt by human hands. The unsaved soul can only live by being born again and given life through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. The temple in Jerusalem has never been rebuilt. There has not been a sacrifice performed since 70 A.D. Aren't you glad Jesus was our sacrifice? Because the final sacrifice has been made by the Prince of Peace. Now we, every believer, is the temple of God. Amen? A temple not built with human hands, but a temple that is built by God himself through regeneration. The dwelling place of God is the church, and the church is us.
Somebody say amen. Hope, joy, peace available now. Come while the privilege is still available. Come experience the unparalleled possibilities or don't come and look forward to divine punishment. Those are our three options. Peace is available. But brothers and sisters, it comes on God's terms. Don't forget that. Too many people want to set their own conditions to salvation. God doesn't work that way. God is the one who offers salvation. He's the one who offers peace. And we can only receive it on his terms. If you look at any peace treaty, there's always the terms, terms of surrender. You've heard that term? Well, our terms, surrender. Surrender. Remember that passage? They didn't want the Lord to reign over them. That's the story of a rebellious humanity. We really like to be in charge. We really do. And God will not share his authority, nor will he share his glory. But if you come on his terms through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and confess that you are a sinner and your only hope is the grace and mercies of our God, you shall be saved. And then you'll know the peace. You'll know the peace that surpasses all understanding. And it can never be destroyed because it's a city. It's a peace not established or built with human hands but ordained by God. Why is it so hard for people to admit they're sinners? Why is it so hard? Because you see, people being rebellious in nature really just don't like to admit they're wrong in the first place. And that's the first step to salvation. Not only have we been wrong, we've done wrong, and we've wronged a holy God. But the good news is, he loves us. <laughs> he loves us. Wouldn't it have been easy at that point, I mean, easy if Jesus would have just stopped right there in his weeping, in his crying, and said, you know what? They're not worth it. I'm going back. You ever think about that? They're not worth it. Why should I continue this journey when I know that it's going to Calvary? These rebellious people just don't deserve what I'm about to do. Guys, that's the beauty and the power of the gospel. We didn't deserve it. And he continued right on into the city and gave his life so we could be saved. 
What a Savior. What a Savior. What a God. I hope you know him today. I hope you know him. If not, please come up here or see one of us after service, and we'll tell you how you can know him. Please. Please. Father, thank you for the day that we've had. Thank you for the word, living, active. Thank you, Father, for for giving us the ability to understand this word through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son who can sympathize with us in all of our weakness, who's been tempted in every way yet without sin, and who now sits at your right hand interceding on behalf of the saints. And Father, I pray I pray that by the restraining power of the Holy Spirit, I won't make Jesus cry again.